<clears throat> Amen. All right, well, we're there in Luke chapter number 12. And as, as many of you know, we've been going through a series on uh, Sunday mornings on the subject of stewarding life. And we've been learning about the stewardship of life. And what we've been learning is that God has called us to steward or to manage resources for His glory. Usually when we think of stewardship, we think of finances, although I hope by now you've learned and you've realized that the stewardship of life is bigger than just money. We've been uh, talking about the stewardship of our time. Uh, We preached on the stewardship of health, stewardship of relationships. Uh, We did talk about the stewardship of our finances in regards to managing our finances well for the glory of God, our testimony and our thought life. And uh, this morning, I want to We've been kind of going through a lot of practical sermons about stewardship, stewarding your testimony, stewarding your time, things like that. This morning, we're going to jump into a parable that is on stewardship, and uh, this parable is often referred to as the parable of the rich fool, and we're going to be looking at this parable and studying it out today. But let me go ahead and say this. When we look at the parable of the rich fool, what we're looking at is this idea of giving. And, uh, and of course, this has to do with our vision offering coming this week. And let me, let me give this disclaimer. You know, at Verity Baptist Church, uh, we don't preach on giving a lot. You know, most of the times you go to churches and you always hear about giving every week. And honestly, uh, you know, for those of you that are guests, I, I want you to, to know that this is not something that we talk about a lot. Uh, but we also don't shy away from it. You know, the Bible does talk about giving. And uh, as you read the Bible, you will find that all throughout the Bible, God's people took special offerings. You know, Moses held special offerings, and David held special offerings, and Nehemiah held special offerings, and uh, all of that. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Um, uh, special offerings. So, you know, we're not ashamed to talk about that, and we're not ashamed to, to preach on that, but it is something that we don't emphasize a lot around here. But you know what? Giving and generosity is a big, big part of the Christian life. It's a big part of Christian growth and maturity, uh, so we're going to be learning about that this morning. If you look down at verse number 13, Luke chapter 12, I want you to, before we dig into this parable about the rich fool, I want you to understand the context of the parable. Sometimes when you understand the context or what brought the parable about, you, it helps you to understand why Jesus is giving this parable, what he's talking about. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 13, the Bible says this, and one of the company, and one of the company, and I want you to understand that Jesus was often with big crowds. There's many people that followed him that were trying to get his attention, that were trying to speak to him. And the Bible says here, and one of the company, so one individual from this crowd basically got the attention of the Lord Jesus Christ And notice what the Bible says, that he said unto him. It says, said unto him, Master. Notice what he says. Speak to my brother. So this individual is going to Jesus, and he's asking Jesus, will you speak to my brother? Speak to my brother about what? Notice, that he divide the inheritance with me. Apparently, this individual had uh, had his parents die, and left him an inheritance, and they left him and his brother an inheritance, and he and his brother are fighting about how to divide the inheritance, you know, and that's a sad thing. Unfortunately, it's a very common thing. Oftentimes, you know, siblings will fight after the death of a parent, you know, fighting over uh, the inheritance that is left to them, and that's a sad thing. You know, we should never fight and ruin relationships for something as silly as money. 
But here you, you see this man coming to Jesus and he says, you know, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. He says, my brother's not dividing it properly. He's not doing it fairly. And, you know, there's always two sides to the story here. But he's coming to Jesus and he's asking him, would you, you know, uh, petition him? Would you speak to him on the behalf? I want you to understand, the context that leads to this parable is two brothers fighting over money. Two brothers fighting over an inheritance and asking Jesus to take part of this fight. Notice the response from our Savior, verse 14. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? He says, who made me, you know, the judge that's supposed to figure out the inheritance? Notice what he says in verse 15. And he said unto them, so, I want you to understand the context. Here, Jesus is in a crowd, right? The Bible says, and one of the company. There's a company there. There's lots of people around him. And, and coming through this company, you know, comes a, a man, and he kind of makes his way through, and he gets the attention of Jesus, and he says, you know, would you speak to my brother that you divide an inheritance? And Jesus responds and said, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And then the Bible says, notice in verse 14, he said unto him, the brother, in verse 15, he said unto them. So Jesus says to this man, you know, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And then Jesus turns to the crowd and he says this, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And then the Lord goes into, he takes this opportunity to go into this parable and to teach on this parable. And I want you to understand the context is about covetousness. The context is about two brothers fighting over earthly things. And Jesus wants to teach them. And Jesus wants to speak to them in regards to them. And he teaches them about a certain rich man. Notice verse 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man. The ground of a certain rich man. I want you to understand and for those of you that like to take notes, if you're taking notes, maybe you can write this down. But point number one is this. I'd like you to notice the rich man's excess. The rich man's excess. See, this man was rich. And you say, well, why was he rich? He was rich not because of what he had, but because of what he had left over. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Notice verse 17. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because, notice what he says, I have no room where to bestow my fruits. He says, I have so much. He says, I have so much that I don't even have somewhere to put everything I've got. He says, I have no room to bestow. He's, that means to store or to lay aside my fruit. You say, this man was a rich man. Why was this man a rich man? Because of his excess. Because he had so much, he didn't even know where to put it. And here's what you need to understand, you know, and as we study this parable, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, if you want to underline that, that, those three words, a certain rich man, if you want to, uh, excuse me, those four words, a certain rich man, or if you want to circle the words rich man, and just draw an arrow there in your Bible, if you don't mind taking notes in your Bible, and just write this word, write, draw an arrow towards rich man, and then write this word, me. That's you. That's me. You say, oh, I'm, I'm not rich. Well, look, the definition of this rich man was that he had so much, he had so much, he didn't know where to bestow. You say, well, that's not me. Oh, really? Take a look at your garage. 
You know, we're the only people that have so much stuff. We can't even put our cars in a garage. We, you put a $20,000 vehicle out, you know, outside because you've got so much stuff, you've got to use your garage to store all your stuff. And some of you got your garage filled, and then you even pay every month to get a, a store, you know, unit to store all of your stuff. See, the truth of the matter is, and here's what you need to understand, we as Americans are very rich people. You say, how can you tell? Because of all of our excess. Because of all that we have. Let me read for you just a real quick snippet from this article uh, found, uh, written by popularscience.com. It says this, it says, you're probably already aware that Americans consume a disproportional amount of the world's stuff. You may even have bumped into some of the statistics. We make up 5% of the global population, but use 20% of the world's energy. We eat 15% of the world's meat. We produce, we're 5% of the population, and we produce 40% of the world's garbage. And this, this is not, uh, I'm not down on Americans. I, I just want you to understand, by the world standard, you say, well, I, I'm, I'm not rich in comparison to other Americans. You, you're not rich in comparison to other people that are rich. But when you compare our lifestyle and our way of living to those of the rest of the world, I'm looking at a room filled with rich people. And it's because of our excess. It's because the truth of the matter is we're not talking about, we're not talking about sheltering your family. We're not talking about clothing your family. We're not talking about feeding your family. We're not talking about taking your basic needs. We're talking about the rest. We're talking about the excess. We're talking about, you know, you've got so much clothes, you've got to get rid of clothes to fit the new clothes you got. You've got to, you know, give away the clothes and take it down to the Salvation Army and praise the Lord for that. I think you should, you know, give that stuff away and help people out. I'm just telling you, we are a very blessed people. You, you've got more cars than you could fit in your garage if you wanted to. We are rich. And this man was a rich man. You say, how do you know? Because of his excess. The first thing we see in this parable and the first thing we notice is the rich man's excess. And here's all I want you to understand. If you were honest with yourself, you would know that God has blessed you with more than you need. None in the world wrong with that. Praise the Lord for it. It is God who gives us the strength to get wealth. It is God that prospers us and, and helps us succeed. It is God that gives us those things. Those things come from God. Praise the Lord. Nothing in the world wrong with that. But we must acknowledge the fact that if we were honest, we would understand that we, as Americans, have been blessed with more than we need. The first thing we notice is this rich man's excess. The second thing I'd like you to notice in this parable is the rich man's exchange. Not only did he have an excess of stuff, not only did he have so much stuff, he did not know where to bestow it, he did not know where to put it, but then the man chooses to make an exchange. And here's what you need to understand. Notice verse 17. And he thought within himself, he thought within himself. Here's the question I have for you. What do you think? What do you think about this? He, he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruit. And he chose. Here's what he chose. And here's what you need to understand. All of us have to choose what we will do with the excess. When it comes to giving, when it comes to missions, when it comes to, to generosity, no one is asking you to take food off of your, your, you know, from your family. 
off of your table to give to someone else. We're not talking about your needs, but we are talking about your excess. See, see, God has blessed you with, you have to provide shelter. You have to provide clothing. You have to provide food. You have to provide those needs for yourself and for your family. The question that we have for us this morning is, what will you do with your excess? Because here's what you need to understand. We are all exchanging Life is a series of exchanges that we make. We are all constantly exchanging back and forth and making trades or making deals or investing. And I'm not just talking about the stock market. I'm saying we are investing the excess. This man thought within himself. Now, how did he choose to exchange the excess? How did he choose to invest the excess? How did he choose? What did he choose to do? Notice verse 18. And he said, because remember, he's thinking to himself, he thought within himself, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruit. And he said, verse 18, this will I do. Notice what he says. I will pull down my barns and build greater. Now the word greater there is talking about bigger. He said, I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. See, here's what he chose. He chose to exchange. He chose to invest his excess in self. See, life is a series of exchanges. We make trades. We exchange. And he chose to exchange. Please listen to what I'm saying. He had barns filled with goods. And he had so much. The barns were already filled with goods. He had so much. He said, I don't know. I don't know what to do. He says, what I'll do is I'll just invest in bigger barns. I'll invest in bigger things. And you say, well, what's the problem with investing in self? And please understand what I'm saying. I'm not, I, there's nothing wrong with having nice vehicles and going on nice vacations and having a nice house or wearing nice clothes. I'm not, I'm not preaching against that this morning. But I'm telling you this. When we choose to live our lives and invest all of the excess in self, what we are choosing is to invest in self-gratification. So well, how do you know that? Well, look at verse 19. He says, let's pull down the barns. Let's build greater. Why? Why, rich man? Why do you want to do that? Verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods. Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. What's the purpose? What is he trying to accomplish? He says, take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. See, here's what you need to understand. When we choose to exchange the excess, when we choose to invest the excess in self, what we are doing is we are investing in self-gratification. So that we can take it easy. So that we can eat, drink, and be merry. So that we can gratify self. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of Americans do. Isn't that true? Many Americans today have been blessed with excess. And there's nothing wrong with that. But oftentimes they choose to take all of that excess and invest it just right back into their own barns. Bigger barns. Greater barns. More things. Listen to me. Listen to me. Are you investing in your barns? He made a trade. He, he chose. He said, I've got all this money. I've got to decide what to do with the, all of this plentiful good that I have. And he said, I will invest it into barns. I will invest it into barns. This man was a barn bragger. He was bragging and he was satisfied with his barns. And I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but some of you have chosen to make the pride of your life the vehicle you drive. The pride of your life is the house you live in. 
The pride of your life is that you shop at, you know, uh, at this store and you'd never shop at this store. And, and you wear this name brand and you'd never wear that name brand. And you live in this side of town and you'd never live on that side of town. And here's all I'm trying to tell you. You're a barn bragger. You're investing in barns. You're saying, I got so much stuff. What do I do? Get bigger. Get greater. Get better. I've already got iPhone 76, but I'm going to go and get iPhone 77. Why? Because it's bigger and better. I need a greater barn. I need to be ahead of the curve. I need to make sure that everything is invested in self. We see the rich man's excess. We see the rich man's exchange. We all make exchanges. We're all constantly making exchanges. We're all making trades. We're all investing. Like you notice, thirdly, the rich man's end. There's verse 20. But God said unto him, I want you to notice what God calls this man. By the world standard, a very successful man. By the world standard, a very uh, triumphant man. By the world standards, we were look. This man would would be on the cover of magazines. This man would ha- would write books. This man would have people coming to him and say, "How do you do it? How can I do what you do? How can I accomplish what you've accomplished?" Look at these barns. They're so amazing. He knows what God calls them. But God said unto him, verse twenty, "Thou fool." Why is the parable referred to as the rich fool? Because he was a rich man, yes, but God calls him a fool. Now, fool, say, well, what's, what's wrong, Pastor? What's wrong with investing in barns, building greater barns, and having bigger and better and greater? What's wrong with it? Who knows what Jesus says? But God said, uh, what Jesus said in this parable, but God said unto him, thou fool, notice what he says, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And when we read this parable, when we read this parable, it makes it dramatic that it seems like there's a sudden death here. That there's a sudden death that comes and God says, okay, you got done building your barns, tonight you're going to die. And and it may very well be that Jesus stated it that way to to make it sound sudden. But here's what you need to say. Nothing in the story tells us that it was sudden. He may have died suddenly or he may have died of old age. The truth of the matter is he died. And here's what I know about you, and here's what I know about me. 100% of us will die. The Bible says, and as it is appointed unto men, once to die, but after this, the judgment. You say, what's the problem with investing in barns? What's the problem with tearing down barns and building bigger and building greater barns? Here's the problem with investing in barns is that we all come to an end. The rich man came to an end. Notice what the Bible says. Look at it. Verse 20. But God said unto him, Thou fool, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Don't miss this. Just this this little word. You ought to underline it in your Bible. You ought to circle it in your Bible. He says, then. Do you see that? You know that there's a then for all of us? You know that there's a day that you will die. There's a day that I will die. There's a day that our lives will come to an end then, 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 who shall those things be which thou hast provided? See, the problem with investing your life into bigger and better barns is that when you die, those things, you can't take them with you. Those things have no eternal value. See, investing in self-gratification has no lasting value. Investing in self-gratification only lasts 
as long as you live. And when you die, and you will die, then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? Verse 21. Jesus brings it all together. He wraps it up. He says this. He says, so is he. He said, this whole thing I've told you about the rich man, the rich man's excess, and the rich man's exchange, and the rich man's end. He said, oh, this, this little story that I've told you so far. He says this in verse 21. He wraps it all together, concludes the thing by saying this. He says, so is he. He says, the, 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 the rich man that we would look at and we'd say, what a fool, what a fool to invest your life in barns. Jesus says, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. See, the un- here's what you need to understand. When we invest and spend only in self, there's no lasting value. There's no lasting value. Then, that then comes for all of us. And look, it doesn't matter if you're saved or unsaved. The Bible refers to this exchange for those that are saved and that are not saved. Let me just show you a couple of things. Go, you're there in Luke. Go back one book into the book of Mark, Mark chapter number 8. Mark chapter number 8. Let me show you. Unbelievers who spend his life investing in self come to the, end, the same end as a rich man. Unbelievers, people who never got saved, who spend their lives investing in bigger and greater barns, come to the same end as a rich man. Mark 8.36 says this, For what shall it profit a man? Mark 8.36, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You say, I, I made exchanges in life. I exchanged a lot. I invested a lot. I traded a lot. I gained the whole world. I had the biggest barn, the greatest barn, the newest barn, the most high-tech barn. But what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Look verse 37. Or what shall a man give in, notice our word there, exchange for his soul? See, life is a series of exchanges. And here we learn about an unbeliever, someone who never even got saved. They gave the whole world, and it meant nothing. It was no profit. Why? Because they lost the whole world. But you know what's interesting is that this same phrase, because in the Bible, you know, sometimes we think like, oh, Jesus said things one time and it got written out. But, you know, Jesus was a preacher of the Word of God, and often when we preach, we use similar illustrations. We say similar things. We might say it differently from day to day, but we're using the same analogies. Jesus did the same thing. And in Luke chapter 9, he uses the same analogy. Go, go to Luke 9. You're there in Mark. Just go back to, into the book of Luke, Luke chapter 9. He uses the same analogy, that famous, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own heart? He's referring to believer. You'll notice that he says the same thing. It says, what shall a man, what shall it profit a man? And Luke 9 it says, what is a man if he gain the whole world and lose himself? lose soul. This man was the soul. Or the Why are you keeping it under your body? And why are you doing that? I preach that. He said, I 
take it. Once you in my hand of Jesus Christ, but here he says, and because I waste my life. Wait, my heed and beware of covetousness. Watch. No, the word for means because. He says, you must beware of covetousness. Because. Here's what the rich man should have done. Here's what you got in it when or do whatever. When you've got more, here's what you should do. You know what you should do with your access? In God. Forsake a time. You can you can read the whole thing in its context. Like um, look, look at verse 31. The fact that we shouldn't but he says, so that you have and give alms. Notice what he says. Notice what he says. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old. Here's what he's saying. When you invest in selflessly for others, he says, when you do that, you provide yourselves bags which wax not old. Some decision and the stock market dips. And had an excess, and the rich, Take it up to financially. 
watched it, I, 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 I think you would agree with this. I believe this documentary will have I believe a couple I believe there are many people that will get saved watching that film. Some of you got saved watching After the Tribulation. Some of you got saved watching uh, New World Order Bible Version. Some of you got saved watching March into Zion. And I believe that there are future people who have not just in this community, but all over the world. to produce those things, and all of that is money, and all I'm saying is this. To produce that thing. There are people that will travel here in August for our Red Heart Preaching Conference. And they maybe got saved watching after the tribulation, but they're not really too sure about the rest of it. But they'll come out here for some conference and they'll hear preaching of the word of God and they'll make decisions that will impact eternity. And you can play a part in that. And you can invest into someone else. Now, let me just give you, just as, as we end, and we're not, we're not close to ending, all right? So don't, don't get too excited. But just as we end, let me give you some things about giving. Because we understand now why we give, right? We give because, number one, we have excess. We can't ask these Filipinos. We can't ask these Filipinos to fund the missions of the world. They actually don't have it. But you do. And I do. So we understand why, but let's talk about how. How do we do it? How do we do it? Go, go, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Did you keep your place in 1 Corinthians? Let me just real quickly show you a couple things about giving. And again, we don't talk a lot about giving, but I, I always want to give you thoughts on giving when we're getting ready to give. And I would like you to write these statements down. Just as we conclude, I want you to write a couple of statements in regards to giving. I want you to write these statements down, and I want you to have them with you. And I want you to look at these five statements over the next week on regards of giving and ask God, ask God, how would you have me Invest my excess. How would you have me exchange the excess so that it would actually count after I'm gone? Number one, please write this down. When it comes to giving, when it comes to giving, we must give joyfully. We must give joyfully. Are you there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8? Look at verse 1. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul is speaking to a very poor church. And he's speaking to them on giving. And notice what he says. He says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Macedonia is a very poor location, a place that had been ravished by war and different things. And they didn't have a lot. And he's speaking to them in verse 2, how that in a great, notice, in a great trial of affliction... These people were struggling in a great trial of affliction. They didn't have much, but you know what they had? The abundance of their joy. They didn't have a lot of big barns. They had a lot of joy. The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, even beyond their power. Notice these words. They were, notice this word, willing, willing, willing of themselves. What does it mean to be willing? It means they did not do it reluctantly and they did not do it resentfully. They did not do it reluctantly and they did not do it resentfully. When it comes to giving, we must give with joy. Look at verse, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Just flip, flip one page over. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. One, one chapter over to verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Again, speaking about giving. Speaking about a special offering that they're taking. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Notice what he says. He says, every man according as he purposes in his heart. Notice what he says. So let him give. He's about to tell us, this is how you should give. So let him give. This is the, the way that we should do it. Not grudgingly. 
What does that mean? To give grudgingly. It means you're doing it reluctantly. It means you're doing it resentfully. It means you're doing it unwillingly. Not grudgingly, not grudgingly, or of necessity. Because I'm forced to. Because I'm coerced to. Because Pastor Jimenez guilted me into it. That's why I gave. No, no, no. Listen, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And I, I say this every year, but I want to say, say it again. If you don't give joyfully, don't give it all. If you show up here on, on next Sunday, I don't care if you put the biggest check in the offering. If you do it with a bad attitude, if you do it grudgingly, reluctantly, look, we don't want your money. We're, look, our God shall supply all our needs according to his riches and glory. Keep your filthy lucre. We're looking for believers who are doing it of a willing heart. I've told you this story before, but I, I used to work for a company and we would go out and do these jobs and the, the, boss, the boss said to us, he said to us, if the customer's not happy, give them their money back. He said, if the, if the customer's not happy, give them their money back. And he'd say this over and over again. He said, in our company, we want happy money. In our company, we want happy money. We don't want money with a bad attitude. If they're not happy, give them their money back. If we performed the service, we did everything we said we were going to do, and they're still complaining, they're still, he said, just give them the money back. He said, you won't get fired, you won't get in trouble. Give them the money back. We want happy money. And you know what? At Verity Baptist Church, we want happy money. And if you're going to show up and do it grudgingly and reluctantly, and ah, well, I got, you just keep your money. I, I, honestly, you say, Pastor, that's not a very good giving sermon. I, I'm just saying from the bottom of my heart, we want cheerful giving. For God loveth a cheerful giver. Look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm helping you. You say, well, you're guilting me into it. I, it, it. Guilt-free right now. If you don't want to, don't. Please, don't. Because I'd rather be able to say, our church willingly, joyfully came together and gave. Then, well, you know, some people got coerced into it and got guilted into it and they thought they had to. He said, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. So number one, we must give joyfully. Number two, go, go, to, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Look at verse 2. We're, we're almost done. Okay, I'm going to give you these five, but it'll be fast. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Not only, was, not only must we give joyfully, but we must give. Please write this down. We must give joyfully. When it comes to giving, we must give joyfully. But secondly, we must give generously. We must give generously. Why? Because we've been blessed. Unto whom much is given, much shall be required. And the truth of the matter is that God doesn't need our leftovers. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Look at verse 2. Notice chapter 8 and verse 2. How that in a great trial of affliction, these people were afflicted, in a great trial of affliction, they, the abundance of their joy and their, notice these words, deep poverty. Paul said, I understand you're living in deep poverty. He said, I, don't, I understand you don't have a lot. But notice what it says. And their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Here's the point. They didn't have much, but what they had, they gave generously. They didn't have, they, these people couldn't say, look at my boards. But from what they had, from their great trial of affliction, from their deep poverty, abounded unto the riches of their liberality. These people were generous. Go, go, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 6. No, notice, notice what God says about giving. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. But this I say. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. But this I say. He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. What does it mean to be sparing? It means you're cheap. That's what it, you know, in the Greek, that's what it means, cheap. It means you're scarce. 
He says, he that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully. What does it mean to be bountiful? It's generous. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. And here's what you need to understand. Here's what you need to understand. The truth of the matter is you cannot outgive God. You can't outgive. You say, I'm going to give. Look, God, God gives to us. God responds to us. When we are bountiful, he is bountiful with us. When we are generous, he is generous with us. Keep your place in 2 Corinthians. Go to Luke. Just Luke, real quickly. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Notice what the Bible says. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Luke chapter 6. You're there in 2 Corinthians. Keep your place there. Go to Luke chapter 6. We're almost done. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. I say that four times before we're actually done, all right? So just keep that in mind. Luke 6, 38. I'm just kidding. Luke 6, 38. Notice what he says. Luke 6, 38. Give, give. And it shall be given unto you. Good measure. I love this verse. Good measure. Pressed down and shaken together and running over. God, God, God has this, he gives this idea where he says, if you give, notice what he says, shall man give into your bosom for with the same measure. You see that? If you don't mind underlining your Bible, you ought to underline that phrase. The same measure. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Here's, here's what God is saying. Please understand. Here's what God is saying. You've got a barn filled with stuff. And you get to choose. Am I going to choose a vessel that is this big? Or am I going to choose a vessel that is this big? Or am I going to use a vessel that is this big? You know, and, and am I going to sow sparingly? Or am I going to sow bountifully? And you take that cup, you take that measuring cup, and you say, well, here's what I've got, and I'm going to take this. This is the excess, and I'm going to invest it into someone else. And then God turns around and says, give me the cup. And he uses the same, notice, notice, for with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Whatever cup you choose, God says, whatever cup you choose to invest into others, I'll take that cup to invest into you. God doesn't bless me much. Maybe because you don't bless much. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And he says, with the same measure that ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. But here's the difference. Here's the difference. You take the cup and you're kind of like, you know, making sure I'm not giving more than, you know. And you put it on there. God says, give me the cup. But here's how he does it. Notice verse 38. Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down. You know what God does? He scoops in there. He says, I want to make sure we get as much in there as possible. I don't want any air bubbles. And he presses that thing down. And he shakes it together. And he makes sure it gets all settled. And then he scoops it again. And he, and he gives it to you running over. See, he, he, he gets the same measure, but he does more with the same measure. And, and, and just, just so you don't you know, accuse me of being a prosperity preacher, we're not talking about money here. We're not saying, you give a thousand and God will give you more. No, but you know that there's some more important things in life than money. And sometimes we invest into people financially and God invests into us in different ways. And it might not always be, it may be money. It might not always be money. It may be other things and other ways that he blesses you. But here's what I know. You cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. So we must not only give joyfully, but we must give generally, uh, uh, ge- generously. Go, go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We must give joyfully and we must give generously. Number three, we must give sacrificially. We must give sacrificially. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3. Notice what he says. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3. For to their power. He's talking about this church. In a great trial of affliction. In deep poverty. He says, for to their power. What does that mean? To their ability. I bear record. He said, I know. They did what they could. They sacrificed what they could. To their power. I bear record. Yay. Notice. Don't miss this. And beyond their power. He says, to their ability. To their power. And beyond their power. 
They were willing of themselves. See, here's the truth about giving. It should hurt a little bit. It should hurt a little bit. And here's the great thing about God. Look, when we talk about giving, we're not, ta- we're not talking about equal giving. Because all of us are in different stages of life. All of us are in different places in life. All of us have different incomes and different places where we can give. We're not saying that all of us should be giving the exact same amount. But here's what we should all be doing. We should all be sacrificing equally. Your gift may be much bigger or much smaller than somebody else's gift, but your sacrifice should be equal. We should all be sacrificing the same to our power and beyond our power, beyond our ability. We must give joyfully, and we must give generously, and we must give sacrificially. Here's the point, here's the point I'm trying to make. Because some of you, you're like, oh, well, I, got, I got money, I throw a check in there. But look, if it didn't hurt, it should hurt you a little bit. You should say, here's what I can do, and here's just a little bit beyond my power. Here's just a little bit beyond my ability. To their power and beyond their power. Notice verse 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Not only must we give joyfully, and not only must we give generously, and not only must we give sacrificially. Number four, we must give intentionally. Notice verse 7. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. Do you see that? Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. Do you know why I always preach this sermon, the giving sermon? Go back on all the years of Very Baptist Church. And you know what you will find? The sermon on giving is always done the week before the vision offering. You say, well, Pastor Jimenez, why don't you preach it the week of the vision offering? Take, take the offering right after. You know, tell some gut-wrenching stories, show some, you know, little kids in the Philippines and, and get people to give that way. You know why we don't do it that way? And I'm not saying if people do it that way that there's, there's anything wrong with that, but you know why we don't do it that way? Because when you give, I want it to be very intentional. I want it to be very purposeful. I don't want to be that we manipulated your emotions. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. So here's what we ask. Here's what we ask. We ask that you go home with this letter... And with this envelope, and with this card, and that you get on your knees with your spouse if you're married, and that you pray and ask God, what would you have us to give? And you show up on Sunday with a purpose, with an intention to invest into the lives of others. We must give joyfully, and we must give generously, and we must give sacrificially, but you know what means? We must also give intentionally, on purpose as every man according as he purposeth in his heart. Number five. This is the last one. We're done. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. We must give confidently. We must give confidently. Second Corinthians 9, look at verse 8. And God, notice these words. God is able. You ought to, you, you ought to underline that. God is able. Amen. God is able. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. See, we should give confidently, knowing that God will supply our needs. And God will take, you say, Pastor Jimenez, aren't you worried about spending thousands of dollars on a bunch of Filipinos? And don't we have bills around here? Don't we have things to do around here? Wouldn't it be better to invest that money into ourselves and get all sorts of nice things for ourselves? You know what? God is able to supply our needs. 
That's why in Philippians 4.19, you don't have to turn there. Paul said this, But my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. See, we must give confidently. We must give confidently. God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. See, these churches in Macedonia, they were in great trial of affliction. They were in deep poverty. But you know what? The grace of God was bestowed on those churches. Why? Because God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. So look, when it comes to giving, how do we give? Please take, take, take these things and go home and pray. Take this list and, and, and ask yourself and say, how can I give joyfully and how can I give generously and how can I give sacrificially and how can I give intentionally and how can I give confidently? Knowing that God will supply our needs. Next week, you will have an opportunity to give and there's different options. The first option is you can bring a one-time gift on the day of the vision offering. Maybe you say, well, I'm not ready to do that. I'm not ready to give a one-time gift. Then what you could do is you could also, the envelope is for the one-time gift. You decide, you pray about it, you purpose, and you give the envelope. And we're asking that everyone who gives to the vision offering gives in in the vision offering envelope so we can separate that from the regular offerings. And please understand this, and and, and I'm, I'm getting into some technical things here, but let me just say this. It doesn't help. When you take your tithe and just give that to vision, that, that doesn't help. The, that, that's not the point. We're going beyond our power here. Do you understand that? If we just take what we normally give and then give that towards the vision, now we just created another hole somewhere else. The whole point of a special offering is that we're raising extra money, things that we wouldn't normally have to be able to do extra things. So please be faithful with your tithes. Be faithful with your normal, regular giving and then ask God, how would you have me to give to my power and beyond my power? And what we're asking is that you'll take this envelope and you'll pray. And I'm hoping that you husbands will pray with your wives and you'll pray and you'll think and you'll consider what would God have us to do? What would God have us to do? And that you'll give a one-time gift using this envelope. Some of you say, well, I can't, I don't, I'm not ready to give a one-time gift. This is where the card comes in. You can commit. You can commit to say, you know what? I, I'm going to give... You know, on this card, you write down your name, your address, your email address, and you, it says on the day of the vision offering, uh, you will have the opportunity to give a one-time offering toward the vision offering, and or you can also commit to give for one of, or all of the following months. And there's a place there for April, May, June. You could decide, I'm going to give every month, April, May, June, and you write down the amount you're going to give, and you turn this thing in. Or you can say, uh, you know, I'm going to give one of these months, whatever it is. Say, so, well, what's that about? Look, we're, we're not going to send collections after you, Okay. But here's what we have found. There's power in you writing your name down and saying, here's what I'm doing. It's called accountability. And you say, well, I have to write down. I don't have, can I just commit to give every month and not write down the card? Here's all I'm saying is you do that, you're not going to give. Very few people actually have the character to do that. So we're just asking that you would commit before God and say, hey, you know what? I, I can't give at the vision offering, but I commit on May, in May I will do this amount. Or in April I will do or both, Or all April, May, and June I will do this amount. And here's the option number three. You can always do both. Some of you have so much, you can give a one-time give and commit to give over the next three months. But we're giving you options to give joyfully, generously, sacrificially, intentionally, confidently. Let me finish with this, and some of you have heard me say this every year. But I, I used to have a pastor who told me, when, whenever you lead as a pastor, he told me when I was starting out, whenever you lead as a pastor, you leave a church, you lead a church in giving, 
He says, we, we believe that the Bible teaches that, you know, you shouldn't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. And none of us should be bragging about the amounts that we give and things like that. He, he told me this, and this is, I'm not saying this is right or wrong. This is just the advice I was given. I've taken it every year, and so I'm, I'm not changing it now. But he, he told me, you know, as a pastor, you should always commit. You should always tell your people what you and your wife are willing to sacrifice. Because here's the rep that pastors get. They say, you guys preach on giving, but you're asking us to do something you're not willing to do. Well, every year, and maybe I'm losing all of my rewards for this, but that's fine. Every year, we announce what my wife and I are giving, not to try to show off or brag, but just to try to help you understand that we are, I am not asking you to do something that we're not willing to do. Amen. And here's what you need to understand, and, and here's the problem with this. Here's the problem with this. Our church has all sorts of different income levels. So some people, I announce, here's how much we've prayed about, talked about, sought God's will for, and here's what we are committing to do for the vision offering. And some of you, some of you think, pastor's rich. I could never do that. And then some of you think, that's all he's giving? What a cheapskate. I can't believe that's all he's giving. And here's the point that I'm trying to make. It's not about the amount. It's about the sacrifice. And here's what I can tell you. Here's what I can honestly tell you. Based on our income, I've got a stay-at-home wife, I've got five children and number six on the way. This is what we can do. We are stretching ourselves. We are giving to our ability, and it's hurting us a little bit. But I just want you to know, that's just where we are. For you, it may be a lot. You may say, I would never do that. Or, or for you, it may be like, that's it? That's nothing. You could lose that and not miss it. The point is not the amount. Here's what we're asking for equal sacrifice. Equal sacrifice. My wife and I talked this week. We prayed about it, thought about it. We are committing this vision offering to give $1,000. You say, that's a lot. Not for some. Some of you are like, that's it. It's, it's where we are. I pray one day we could give $5,000, $10,000. Right now where we are in our stage of life, we have a baby coming this year and we've got, you know, that's what we can get. It's hurting us a little bit. It's not ruining us. It's hurting us a little bit. That's where we are. Here's the point that I'm making. You might say, I could never give 1000 But stretch yourself. Some of you could give 1000 and not miss it. And you should stretch yourself. All, 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 I'm, all I'm doing, you say, why do you announce that? All I'm announcing is I'm not asking you to do something we're not willing to do. And that's not our tithe. That's above our tithe. We are willing, we are committing to sacrifice that amount for the vision offering this year because we believe in what this church is doing. We believe and the impact that this church is making and can make. And here's all we're asking. Here's all we're asking is that you would take this week and pray about what could you do? How could you give joyfully, generously, sacrificially, intentionally, confidently? And I believe, I believe that if you take part in the vision offering, you're going to get to heaven one day. You may not be able to look at big barns and say, look at these barns and look at these awesome barns, but you'll get to heaven one day and you'll be able to say, I've got true riches that faileth not, that fadeth not away in heaven. Amen. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church family to strive together in this thing of giving. We don't talk about it a lot. We don't deal with it a lot. And we have an extremely generous church. Lord, I pray that you would convey to our people, I pray that your spirit would work in the hearts of our people. It's not about the amount, but it is about the sacrifice. 
And Father, I pray you'd help us all to sacrifice. I pray that you'd have us, help us to give to our power and above our power. And Lord, I pray that you'd do mighty, wonderful things. Lord, please bless the vision offering this year. Lord, thank you for these people that will give and will sacrifice. And Lord, I also thank you for those outside of this church, many people that our church influences outside of these walls that listen to the preaching um, online, and, and, and many of them commit to give and give online. Lord, I pray you'd bless them and help them, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have a great vision offering this year. And Lord, I pray that you would meet with us tonight as we gather back together uh, to preach your word, Lord. I pray that you would be with us. In Jesus' name we pray.